Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Spider. And I'm Spider Brett. And if you're anything like me, the tenuous security of our existence is always in the back of your mind. Or maybe it's written down in your fear journal. And one of these potentially catastrophic events is the sun firing magnetized plasma rays at Earth and wiping out any record of Brett's recent viral Reddit post. And then Brett dives into something that we've both been debating discussing. It was a bit of a standoff to see who would bring it to the show first. In an alternate universe, I beat Brett to the punch. This is a film that is so original, so stylized, and so impactful that you have to see it to believe it. And if you've already seen it, go watch it again. That's right, we're talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Besides, um, you know... Not recording last time we did this intro. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. <laughs> Figured out how to use your software. I hit the record button, but the pause <laughs> button was hit at the same time. What what software would allow you to hit the pause button and the record button at the same? I don't even know how that works. I only have one cursor. That's Audacity for you. Shout out Audacity, <laughs> greatest recording software known to man. So Brett, I wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be a viral sensation? Uh, pretty good. Um, I, <laughs> I am, I, I guess I'm now a, an award winner on Reddit. Uh, wow. <laughs> so what I, what does that mean? Uh, you know, I don't really know. I've, I've been what they call a lurker on Reddit for several years. That's all I ever do too. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot of fascinating stuff on there. It's honestly, it's probably my favorite social media platform. And ever since this GameStop saga, um, I've been looking at it for probably too much of my life, and honestly, GameStop the they have like a particular subreddit, which is like a forum within a forum, um, and it's it's pulled me out of the lurkerdom and into posting consistently for the first time. I mean, I, I had gotten on one wheel, the one wheel subreddit a little bit and posted, but now I've uh, I don't know I've posted like a handful of things, commented on some other things, but this morning. I decided to uh, just post a picture of a chimp I found on Google Images and make reference to a Forbes article, which is interesting because the the narrative is changing a little bit in this article in terms of how the mainstream media seems to be painting this whole thing. Um, but it's still the game ca- stonk saga, exactly. But it's still a little bit of a, a suspiciously worded i don't know it's it's really interesting seeing the narrative pivot but anyway i just made a joke about it that's not even that funny just like taking some of the verbiage out of this community and out of this forbes article and then posting what, did, what was your joke what was the what was the tagline so it, what you put i don't know if this will make sense out of context but if you've been following this at all uh all i wrote was according to forbes i'm no longer a smooth-brained ape i'm a hyper rational predatory chimp and then I posted it. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> Brett. Oh, you joker. Yeah, that your laugh is unsettling to me, right? In this <laughs> in this uh, particular case. And then I posted a picture of a chimp and it got 3,200 upvotes and 219 oh comments. God. And you can give awards on Reddit and 
you know, I don't really know how awards work. I just see them on really popular posts. But I think some of these cost money. Like people have paid for these. I've never paid, you know, to use Reddit or, or anything. But I've got one, two, three, four. Uh, I've got six awards. Uh, two of them are a he he he. That's a little funny award. <laughs> what is condescending? I got a wholesome award and a hugs award. And somebody also gave me a helpful award for some well, reason. I could see that. I could see like if you had like a blown out tire or something and you open that up, <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, I know what to do now. Monkey thing. <laughs> so yeah, it feels pretty good. That is pretty awesome, Brett. I mean, that's totally the kind of thing that people spend time and effort trying to learn how to game the system to get their posts to go viral. And it sounds like you're incredibly good at reddit just right off the bat <laughs> I, without even trying i think i think the irony of reddit is like you're only going to get traction as long as you're never trying to go viral i don't know i could mm. be wrong about that i'm sure there's probably some formula to be popular on there to get a lot of upvotes or karma but i i don't know i just uh it's not something that i've ever pursued but really this gme subreddit is like the first one that i've been um, you know, more active in. So it's just kind of funny that like a chimp picture and a half-assed joke that I <laughs> post so simple. from laying in bed at like five in the morning is like kind of like blow up a little bit. It's just kind of silly. nailed it. See if you can start selling some uh, ad space on your post there. <laughs> there you start raking in that internet money. There you go. I'll send everybody to the content clearing house. Ooh, there you go. That would, a uh, little bit of self-promotion. I'll probably get you thousand down votes instantly it's true exactly (laughs) so uh what's up with you buddy you got you want to jump into your off top or you got some joshua news to share no real news i like how you kind of made it sound like i did but uh (laughs) nope (laughs) nothing new right now but yes i will get in my off top for you um but i want to start with a question brett as we are wont to do here okay i'll check i'll see if i'm recording again yes i'm recording is that your question perfect <laughs> you're not going to want to miss this now, that's okay. my uh, that's my default question you need to assume i'm <laughs> i'm always asking that all right but uh hey brett how secure do you feel in the world <laughs> i'm heavily invested in gamestop uh, <laughs> to secure my financial future so clearly not very. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> Let me rephrase it. How close do you feel to total societal collapse every second of every day? Uh, I think we're five minutes to midnight. That's not bad, actually. That's pretty close. So before I start, I just want to say to everyone, sorry, sorry, sorry. This is about space. Actually, I'm not sorry. <laughs> this is our show, and if I want to turn it into the space tent spacing house, I'll do it. <laughs> Uh, space so, tent spacing house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so specifically, what do you know about coronal mass ejections? Oh, yeah. so are you talking about solar flares? Yep. Yeah. Well, that's all I know is that they're solar flares. I actually, I I might know a little bit about this, but I want to. I just like little bits and pieces. All right. Well, I've got a little science lesson for you here. Okay. So, coronal mass ejections, or CMEs, they start out as an explosion uh, or a solar flare in the magnetic canopy of sunspots. 
So when these explosions happen, they fire off X-rays and hyper-concentrated UV rays at the speed of light. And when these hit the upper atmosphere of Earth, they ionize as they're stripped of their electrons. And this creates a solar EMP, which can cause things like GPS to go down and cause radio blackouts. I mean, this isn't the worst thing ever. Some electronics may be damaged, but, you know, breakers will pop, stuff can be reset, and eventually you get back up and running. But with a significantly powerful CME, minutes to hours later, and moving slower than light itself, these energized particles arrive. These are protons and electrons accelerated by the blast. These things can electrify satellites and destroy electronics. Then the coronal mass ejection hits, which is a billion-ton cloud of magnetized plasma. It can take an entire day to cross the Sun-Earth divide. And scientists say that a hit like this would cause widespread power failure. It would destroy everything that plugs into a socket. It would flash melt power lines. It would slag generators all over the impact area. And how often do you think something like this happens? Okay, so the little, the little thing that I think that I that I thought that I know about this, which I'm I'm not really sure if this is accurate, but I feel like it might have been it might have even been a cracked.com article back when we used to be into that uh, when we were roomies visiting GameStop in person and playing video games together. Back before um, crack started sucking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there, I believe there was one in either like the early, early 20th century or maybe even before that, uh, like late 19th century that was recorded. Somehow they knew that this had happened, but it was really before there was any sensitive electronics that could be fried. But it would have, you know, the equivalent in today would have knocked out um, pretty much any, like, network or, like, anything on the internet or something like that, credit cards, uh, infrastructure. But, I, but yeah, it sounds like you're going to fill me in on this. Yeah, what you're talking about is the Carrington event. This was a solar flare, as they called it. It happened in 1859, and that one knocked out and in some places ignited the telegraph system all over North America and Europe. That w- what they said is that it took down the Victorian internet, if you can hear the uh, figure quotes. But people could see the Aurora Borealis all over the world. It was so bright they could read newspapers at night under it. Wow. And this was not in a connected world per se. You know, They had telegraph, but there, there weren't a lot of electronics to speak of, but still it caused all sorts of havoc. Now... Like you said, like imagine what would happen if something like this happened today where everything is connected. Almost every basic feature of our life needs electricity. Like imagine if you couldn't heat your house or your food spoiled. You had no way to communicate at a distance. Even your water might not run since most metropolitan areas water supplies are run through electric pumps. Like how long would it take society to break down when you are faced with a sudden lack of resources wrapped in this widespread chaos by the damage that's caused yeah it would pretty much be a total collapse of life as we know it for uh generations to come there's definitely there's no doubt about that reddit reddit would shut down yeah you (laughs) your your entire viral history would be gone (laughs) but okay this is crazy this almost happened on july 23rd 2012 a CME exploded from the sun at 3,000 kilometers per second. 
and this CME tore through Earth orbit, missing us by a week in orbital distance. Now, the Earth orbits at 1.6 million miles per day. That thing that, that means this thing missed us by 11.2 million miles, which is ridiculously close in astronomical terms. But what it did hit was something called the Stereo A satellite. And the Stereo A just happens to be a solar observatory, and it was uniquely qualified to collect data from this event. How this ironic. Is like, I know. This is like one of the most insane coincidences ever. Now, if, if Stereo A had been operating within Earth's atmosphere, it would have been instantly destroyed since the atmosphere amplifies the electrical properties of these kind of impacts. But since it was in interstellar space, like it's got a, a huge orbit that you know, it's, it's far outside of uh, outside of our atmosphere, like hundreds of thousands of miles, but it was able to ride out the storm and it collected invaluable data that greatly expanded our understanding of these storms. So wait, there's a couple, I got a couple questions here. So you're saying these, uh, solar flares are amplified by our atmosphere. Is it something about the interaction with the air molecules or something? Yeah, so when it hits the atmosphere, it's 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 ionized and it strips the okay. electrons. Because that's what and that cr- causes that's aurora borealis. Yeah, and it causes yeah. that causes like electrical overloads, and it it basically ha- it acts as if a, it's a you know a giant EMP. So we just need to send our sensitive electronics into space if we can predict this coming, which I'm guessing we probably can't. We need to send your Reddit history up into space <laughs> to make sure we don't lose it. It's the only but, way. <laughs> I got this. I got this quote from uh, Daniel Baker at the University of Colorado. He said that without the kind of coverage afforded by the Stereo mission, we as a society may have been blissfully ignorant of this remarkable solar storm. Like how many others of this scale have happened to miss Earth and our space detection systems? This is a pressing question that needs answers. And according to another researcher, physicist Pete Riley, and based on this, some science hoo-ha, there's a 12% chance that this could happen in the next decade. And since this was nine years ago when this happened, yikes. It's yeah, that's scary crazy. to think. Yeah, it's scary to think about the slight hiccup that would have had to occur to make this thing hit us. And one of these things did hit Quebec in March 1989. It shut everything down for 12 hours. The... Uh, the homes were all cooled down, freezing, elevators were stalled, schools, buses, all were closed, and the effects rolled over into affecting the power grids in New England and New York. So we narrowly escaped this type of disaster. Like that that nineteen eighty nine impact barely missed the internet era by a few years. And it's it's just it's so disturbing, you know, like that the sun has the potential to fire off these blasts at us, and it's just completely random chance if we happen to be in the path of them. I, I really wanted to, I wanted to literally clear this out of my brain, share it with you and the listeners. Maybe offload some of this, uh, some of this apocalyptic angst on everyone, but just nervous energy. Yeah, exactly. Like open your not too much energy though. We don't want to slag our power lines, but. It's it's just interesting to think about, you know, where we are in the cosmos and the fact that there's this ridiculously huge nuclear explosion that's firing off what's basically laser beams at us at all times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know what the most disturbing thing is? 
Imagine if this thing had hit us in 2012 and we had to spend our last days listening to all the conspiracy theorists brag about how they knew all along that the Mayans were right. Can you imagine how insufferable that would be, Brett? (laughs) That would almost be be enough to... It'd almost be enough to make you forget that you would never go viral. (laughs) Yeah, but... um, was it Nibiru that we had discussed that I hadn't, re- I wasn't really familiar with it? That was that tied into the Mayan myth, or was that some other conspiracy theory? I'm sure that's part of the Mayan it's all, myth. It's all Isn't under everything? one. Yeah, yeah. The Illuminati is at the top of it all. That's right. Well, that's pretty wild, man. Yeah, I try not to um, fill my life with uh, too much existential dread, but it is difficult during these uncertain times. Yeah, I don't think that I go through life in a fearful state. You know, I'm not worried that, you know, Yellowstone's going to blow up or anything or <laughs> that we're going to get hit with space lasers. But I just think it's interesting, like, learning something like this gives me, like, this, again, like a perspective that, you know, is unrivaled by thinking about space where, you know, it just makes me realize where we are, the little blue dot that we're on, everything outside of our atmosphere is instantly lethal to humans and it's just it's just amazing i mean all of it every day that you know we even exist to the point where you and i can sit here and record our stupid thoughts about content like a bunch of dumb idiots yeah yeah it is uh truly something to be grateful for i mean i i uh, want to preserve this podcast for posterity for the rest of the known period of time that the universe exists until the well, we better tag it onto your uh, reddit <laughs> post and shoot it into space then it's the only way maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's why elon musk uh sent his tesla up so that he'd have one working tesla after everything else gets fried on earth that's his bailout car yeah <laughs> well thanks for bringing that uh terrifying thought into my head <laughs> hey you're welcome <laughs> So you got so anything yeah. on uh, you, but you, you, me, ooh, ooh. you? Anything yeah. on your content circuit, Brett? <laughs> um, I did finish WandaVision. It was an absolutely incredible finale. I loved it. Don't tell me about it. I won't. Not a word. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving all the way into it soon. Yeah, check it out. That's it for me, though. I've been pretty busy. How about you? Have you uh, are you familiar with Tiller Russell, the documentarian? Uh, he no. did the uh, the documentary The Seven Five, which is about the corrupt cops in New York. Uh, oh, I've wanted to watch that. I have not seen that though. It's really good. But I just recently listened to this Joe Rogan interview with him, and uh, it's one of the most recent episodes. And I got so fascinated, I wanted to go and like just check out all of this guy's work because some of the crazy stories he was telling, but. There's two document uh, documentaries on Netflix right now. One of them is called Operation Odessa, and it's about these uh, this Russian gangster and this narco guy and this kind of like just con artist dude that got together and they figured out a way to purchase a Soviet submarine for the Cali cartel. And it's about the ridiculous caper that goes down. And, uh, you know, the... He was telling a story, Tiller Russell was telling a story on the podcast about 
when he wanted to go meet up with this guy, Tarzan, he's the Russian mobster guy, and he was in prison, I think in like Panama or something. So he goes down to Panama and he bribes the the guards to let him into the prison. And they say, okay, at night, all the guards go home. It's convict rule. People, He said he saw people like wheeling bodies out and wheelbarrows and stuff. And he's like, what we're going to do is we're going to open this gate. You run as fast as you can across the yard. When you get to that big metal door, you shove it open and inside will be Tarzan. And he was like, uh, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you $50 of this bribe money and then I'll give you the other 50 when I get back. So he goes in and he talks to Tarzan. He gets this crazy story about Operation Odessa. So that is leaving Netflix on March 31st. So it's very good. The editing is so amazing. It's it's unlike any documentary I've ever seen. And the other one so wait, is the... Uh, question for you. Did he... Yeah. He filmed his interview? He like had a camera crew like go into the prison with him? Yeah, but that's not what's in this documentary. It's uh, He has a bunch of footage interviewing Tarzan, all these dudes actually like way after the fact. But that was just kind of like the impetus for him getting this Operation Odessa story gotcha. made. Gotcha. I'm going to have to check and this out. It sounds It is good. And the other one is he made the uh, Night Stalker documentary that just came on Netflix. Oh, I loved that. Did you watch it? I loved it. That's the dude, Tiller Russell. I'm not usually into like crime docs at all. What's that guy's name? Was, was just, that Richard? Not Richard Reed. Richard Ramirez. Richard, yeah, Richard Ramirez. That's it. Yep. It's. Ooh, I mean, like you, if you saw it, you know, like he's got like a, a touch with documentary editing and and plotting. I mean, I think a lot of documentaries that are about like older crimes, like the Yorkshire Ripper. You know, they use a lot of like archival black and white footage. They don't like. They don't really church it up at all. It's just kind of like, here's the information in the most boring way possible. But his documentaries really have this like this zing to him. He's got all these like clever editing techniques and he uses a lot of like really interesting animation and graphics. I highly recommend it for anyone that is into things that don't suck. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. You know, I, I, I am a true crime fan big time. Um, both in you know podcast format or book or audiobook or uh, series, and Night Stalker was probably my most recent uh, series, true crime series that so I watched, scary. and I definitely uh, binged the crap out of it. Thought it was great. I really like true crime also, but I, I typically don't watch true crime docs because I feel like I listen to a lot of podcasts that cover true crime, and I've read a bunch of books, and I'm, I feel like kind of overloaded with it when it comes to watching it but this night stalker one was just like right up my alley very yeah excellent well operation odessa that's the name of it yeah i'll check that out thanks josh you got it buddy (laughs) all right well let's take a quick break and then when we come back we will get in some content content hello listeners don't hit the skip forward button just yet this is not an ad This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear it out. 
Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, content me now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was hoping that our uh, off-top and content would somehow come together again, which it doesn't really. (laughs) I almost messaged you and said, you talking about space? (laughs) Just Just make a safe guess anytime. Okay. I'm talking about space. <laughs> yeah, that is a safe guess. Uh, um, well, you know that we like to start these things by asking uh, each other a question. So, as you already uh, pointed out to me earlier, it's our style. So let me ask you, Josh: How many animated movies have brought tears to your eyes? Hmm. Well, I'm not much of a bitch, so I'm gonna say. <laughs> four oh wow that's actually quite a few okay (laughs) you're like wow that's way more than me yeah weird that comment really uh you threw me for a loop and then you threw me for a loop again i like that subverting expectations is a big theme in what i'm going to be talking about tonight well some serendipity for you that's true um i'm not I I have it, I don't keep track of the number number of movies that make me weep. Uh, oh, tears you don't keep of a cry journal. <laughs> <laughs> it's su- such a salty book. Um, <laughs> oh, but man. I can't even read this. The inks all run. <laughs> it's all smeared. Well, I will say that uh, because of the film I'm talking about, I know the number is greater than zero. Um, I am going to be talking about some superhero shit today. I mean, this is one of my favorite entertainment subjects. And uh, you might know what's coming. This is one that's been on my list for a very long time. We've even mentioned it on the show. But the recent inspiration for me covering this really comes from finishing WandaVision, the first MCU Disney Plus series. And I feel like this film has some of the same genius self-awareness of 2021's WandaVision and also some of the trippy mind warping of the MCU's 2016 film Doctor Strange, but it stands apart from literally anything. I am not exaggerating. Anything I have ever seen. This is an incredible work of perfect art. Wow. That's quite the uh, sales pitch. Well, I'm going to go on. (laughs) Yes, please do. That's the show. This movie has an unmatched uniqueness in the storytelling and style that I guarantee, Josh, as a professional contentologist, will capture the attention of any viewers and then make you cry and then make you laugh and make you cry and make you tell all of your friends how great it is. I'm talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, thank God, Brett. (laughs) I'm doing web shooters for people that can't see us right now, which is every listener. (laughs) Yep. Audio format. So I know you've seen this and you love it as much as I do because you have great taste. (laughs) It's really a good one. Well, if you haven't seen this film, it is extremely difficult to describe how good it is, but I'm going to try because that is our show. That's literally your job. <laughs> That's why I'm a professional. <laughs> um, well, let's start with the basics. So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a 2018 computer animated superhero film produced by Columbia Pictures and Sony Pictures in association, of course, with Marvel. Uh, a lot of Marvel fans out there will know that Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man 
Um, and it's really the only superhero that does. So it's created a lot of internal drama when it comes to the MCU eventually being able to feature Spider-Man and that, you know, the, the drama can be found on the internet. I won't elaborate in it. Um, but Sony, they really knocked it out of the, out of the park with this one with uh, Columbia and Marvel. I've got to say, so some numbers for you, uh, the budget, $90 million, the number of award nominations, 71, the number of award wins, 40, including uh, best animated feature in the Academy Awards, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score, 97%. The Brett Chisholm Who content Who is apology. not voting 100% on this? Come on, guys. You guys are just being contrarians. <laughs> 100% is hard to achieve. There's there's a handful of movies that have 100%. I don't know. Gone with uh, the Wind? I don't think so. <laughs> it seems like what would have 100%. I know, I know Pixar has, um, I think they might have multiple uh, 100%. Let's check it out. I'm a little curious. Rotten Tomatoes, 100%. Let's see. Don't uh, be gone with the wind. With 100% Don't be gone with tomato the wind. score on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, let's see. What is three and a half minutes, 10 bullets? Never heard of that. Let's see. 12 Must Angry sp- Men. That's a pretty good one. Obviously, the greatest I'm movie ever. I'm searching for Gone. Oh. <laughs> Let's see. Mark from Tassie said, honestly, Gone with the Wind should be on this list. No. It's, also, <laughs> it's not on the list. It's also one of the best movies based on a Pulitzer Prize winning book ever made. Hmm. Sorry, lady. Uh, not Toy quite Story this time. Toy Story and Toy Story 2, back-to-back 100%ers. Boom. That's our Pixar for you. Ooh, The Terminator. Oh, wow. I can I can get behind that one. Yeah, that it's a, movie it's is a great one. It's just perfect in every way. Uh, searching for Bobby Fischer. This kind of sounds familiar. Well, it's a book about or a movie about chess. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to start working uh, through this list. Ooh, Man on Wire. That's actually really good. That is a good one too. Yeah. Hey, this is the Josh and <laughs> Brett talk about a uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 100 percent show. All right, well, let me get back to Into the Spider-Verse. So my score, the Brett Chisholm Contentologist score, I give it an 11 out of... That was the most incredible thing I've ever feasted my eyes on. (laughs) (laughs) It's a scale that I'm not familiar with before now, but I can can back that score too. And the number of spider people, a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Very precise. Now, without spoiling anything yet... Uh, I can tell you that this movie has a special uniqueness that, uh, really for a lack of better terms, I couldn't really think of anything else to describe it, but it completely comes out of left field, especially if you are not expecting it. Um, And it shares this in common with some of my favorite MCU films. We've talked about this, man. I like the weird ones. Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy. I like ones that subvert expectations they hold a lot of strange also surprises dr strange absolutely fantastic um yeah i mean of course of course i like uh, avengers infinity war and captain america winter soldier i mean all the classics but the superhero movies that shake or break the mold are extra epic in my opinion and And, i like that uh they've did done such a good job of building their baseline in the mcu that when they start getting into these later phases, you know, phase four, where all these 
really unique films live, they have this like entire rule book that they're they're like systematically breaking the rules on purpose, which is, you know, if you're going to break the rules, you, you have to have already mastered all of the basics of the rules. And that's why well those movies said. are so great because they, <laughs> they laid down these rules in, you know, a very strict and timely manner. And then started showing you like, Oh, this is the side of the superhero saga that involves, you know, magic and dimensions and all these, you know, all these other things that seem like they would have no place when you're just looking at, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger or something. Totally. I I could not have said it better uh, myself. And with this movie, I mean, this feels like a piece of content that was plucked from an alternate dimension. It is so epic. And so one of the things that I didn't, um, really prepare to talk about beforehand because I just have a lot to talk about. But it's the animation. So this is just a good launching place. I was hoping to lob the pickleball to the kitchen of your side of the court uh, to see what you have to say about this. About the animation? About the animation. And I'm surprised you did not bring any attention to my pickleball reference. (laughs) Pickleball? (laughs) Yeah, that's like the that, new thing. They play in Florida. I've been playing oh. uh, pickleball when I visit my dad out there. Oh, well, maybe we'll do a bonus episode where you describe <laughs> the rules to everyone. I'll let you know when I figure them out. All right. Very complicated. <laughs> so I do know a little bit about the animation. One of the things that was really interesting to me was that they mess with the frame rate in the film. Uh, you know, Typically like a... Uh, uh, a, a movie is animated at 24 frames per second and that gives you like that cinematic smooth feeling that you kind of expect to see in the big screen but they do a lot of things with uh, Miles Morales in Into the Spider-Verse who is the young Spider-Man uh, w- when they are trying to show that he is kind of like awkward and not good at being Spider-Man sometimes they'll animate him it's called animating on twos where for each frame of animation, they'll hold it for two frames. So you, you essentially get like 12 individual frames within one second, a 24 frame per second uh, image or, or clip. And so it makes his movements like all jerky and looks like he's kind of like, like his arms are warping around a little bit, kind of like an awkward kid moving around uh, while the background is still being animated at 24 frames per second. So he has like this really, weird look and then as he gets better and better at being spider-man they like smooth his animation out to 24 frames per second and you notice like at the end of the film when he's like a total badass he just looks super smooth like all the other spider-men and he looks like you know his movements are impressive and it like blows your mind like oh this is like what a superhero would do as opposed to him being like an awkward teen that's That's a really interesting thing that they did in that film See, I knew you knew something about this, and I thought I think you've explained this to me before, but I feel like now I understood it that they've actually the frame rate is different from the subject and the background to give like uh, I don't know some sort of storytelling device. Exactly, that's really cool, man. Well, you know, the other thing about it is just the texture of it. I mean, I, yes, it really looks like every frame is. A piece of thoughtful art or something yes, i mean they it's, use yeah they use like comic book filters like uh there's something called duotone that they used in old comic books which is like if you look at a comic book from like 
the 60s or 70s. It's not like smooth, gradiated color. It's all like little dots. You know, it's like it was a product of the printing technology at the time, but also they kind of adapted that into a style. And if you've ever seen uh, like now, and you'll see this in Spider-Verse, people do this on purpose where instead of making like a smooth gradation of color, it'll be a bunch of dots that get smaller and smaller and they start overlapping less and less. So you get like these really interesting, it's almost like rounded diamonds in between where the dots meet. And that is a style that they adapted for Spider-Verse. And you'll see that like all throughout the background. Sometimes you'll see it on the characters and they animate it uh, in a a cell shaded technique. So instead of it being just like, you know, trying to make it look real there, cell shading makes it look like a hand drawing. So around the outside edges of characters and like along like the ridge of their nose around their eye that you get like a, like a really sharp pin line. And that's a, you know, that's, that's a filter that's really common when you're trying to emulate a comic book style. Hmm. Well, I understood some of those words. <laughs> <laughs> Rounded diamond. Well, um, uh, you know, I'm sure some more technically savvy graphic design artists or animators uh, out there in our listenership will uh, appreciate your knowledge and appreciate you sharing that. When you say dots, like I, I, I kind of imagine a Lichtenstein, you know, that uh, pop artist that I don't know, he's got, they're kind of comic booky. They're They're like really popular works like during the 60s, uh, Roy Lichtenstein. But it, it kind of has, like, I I've, I know what you're talking about. I see those dots, but it also, like, somehow looks alive, too. Like, these characters really are brought to life by this style. It looks very three-dimensional as well, um, unlike a Lichtenstein. Well, I'm looking up some Lichtenstein right now, and that is exactly what I'm talking okay. about. The way that his colors are, it's a lot of it is dots overlaid to give you like a, you know, like if you want to make pink, you put a bunch of red dots on white and then your eye kind of fills in the blanks and makes it appear to be pink. Gotcha. Well, one of my favorite uh, animation moments, which happens consistently is all the glitching. Uh, That animation style is just so cool and really just the use of color that they have. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to describe. It's incredible. This is a must a must watch. So I got a question for you. Should I get into spoilers? I have a whole section that I can just skip. This episode will be very short, but I could not decide whether to make this a spoiler free episode or not. So this is not a, a an obscure film. This is a film that was a, a giant commercial success. It was everywhere. There's been like, articles done to death about the story, the style, everything about this film. So I think that most people have probably seen it. If you haven't, I would say spoiler alert. But honestly, these are the kind of things that I I think describing and talking about how incredible it is, is going to make people want to watch it more. And if you've already seen it, it's going to make you want to watch it again. Yeah, I mean, it is it is fantastic. I have enjoyed it more on repeat viewings. Um, it's one of those ones that I just saw on Netflix um, for the first time and thought, oh, this looks kind of cool, and then had my mind completely blown, and now it's absolutely one of my favorite pieces of content. 
and it's only gotten better. Um, so if you don't want spoilers and you have not seen this, honestly, skip this episode. Come back to it later. Uh, this truly is a movie worth the watch. Um, but here we go. So we start following a teenager that you mentioned in New York, Miles. Uh, he's got a police officer dad and a cool but possibly a little sketchy uncle, Aaron. Now, Miles is bit by a kind of neon glowing radioactive spider and he starts gaining spider-man like abilities <clears throat> so the scene psst, is psst, psst. <laughs> the scene is really cool and i love the graffiti art influence this bright street art as urban art is obviously a really big inspiration for this movie um but anyway miles a little bit later stumbles across this like super collider i think they call it in the film uh it's built by the villain kingpin which uh, he is hoping will help him bring back his dead wife and son whose deaths he blames on Spider-Man. By the way, I have said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The quality of a superhero movie is really dependent on the quality of the villain. And Into the Spider-Verse, it does not disappoint. Kingpin is voiced by Liev Schreiber, uh, and his look as this larger-than-life black wall is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> It's very intimidating. <laughs> it really is. I mean, like a good villain, his motivations make him, you know, somewhat of a gray or someone sympathetic, but he's still super scary, uh, and he's an epic character for sure. And I'm going to say epic a lot in this episode, so just deal with it. <laughs> Should we keep a count? You we're at like Harari <laughs> slash epic count. <laughs> we're, we're at like four or five now. So Miles, um, he stumbles across the Super Collider, he watches this brawl between two more classic Spider-Man villains that have been reimagined in this take. And uh, it basically involves Spider-Man getting killed. Cause remember miles is not the Spider-Man yet. He's just this kid with some spider abilities, but the real Spider-Man dies. He can't do it on <laughs> cue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so the super collider, and this is kind of the big twist it opens up some kind of black hole portal thing. Um, and so Spider-Man in this universe is dead. And then a not as cool, not as fit, not as handsome, not blonde Spider-Man ends up in the Miles universe. Um, <clears throat> so it actually turns out, and here's another big spoiler. There are a lot of spider people. Uh, we have our broken hobo Spider-Man, as Miles calls him, who gets to see the life <laughs> he almost had in another universe, which is a really interesting storytelling device. Really fascinating. Um, this version of Peter Parker is one of multiple protagonists. I mean, this movie really isn't about Miles. It's not about this Peter Parker. It really is a collective of protagonists, which I really like. But anyway, this particular one, he ends up as a sort of older brother to Miles, and he's like, he's like a rougher uh, spider person. Um, Loses his spider <laughs> pants, doesn't he? He's wearing like sweatpants. His guts hanging out. You know, it's funny you mentioned this on this viewing, because this is the first time I've seen this since 2020, and I realized. This is 2020 pandemic Spider-Man. He's got sweatpants, stress lines <laughs> on his face. He's binge binge watching TVs, eating pizza. Like I was like, this is the Spider-Man we could all relate to. And he he wears a mask standard. He is just COVID ready. <laughs> yeah, from he jump. Does. That's a great point. I didn't even think about the mask. 
Um, all right, a couple more protagonists here. We've got uh, Spider Woman or Gwen Stacy. The best. Dude. The best. Sick. Also, costume. my daughter Isla's favorite yeah. character from maybe any movie ever. Uh, they, we're going to get into the positive representation um, that this movie. I mean, I, that's been done to death, but it's worth mentioning for sure. Um, Something that we say, uh, Isla and I, is you don't get to like my haircut. Yeah, which is a Spider Gwen. Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> Spider Spider Gwen quote. Yep. Um, well, Gwen has a sick costume um, that, in the realm of at least Brett's content nerddom, I would say is right up there with uh, the Batman Beyond costume. Yes, um, very reminiscent. And I've seen some awesome cosplays out there for uh, Spider Woman or Gwen, the Gwen Stacy version. Yeah, Spider Gwen. Spider Gwen. Um, so this is when things get real weird. We have uh, Spider Man Noir, <laughs> Nicholas Cage, fan favorite, uh, black yep. and white, nineteen thirty three Spider Man, voiced by none other, Nicholas Cage. We've got Spider Ham or Peter Porker. <laughs> so strange. That you know, I was very worried when I saw like promotional material with that. I was like, "This is gonna Pete Peter Porker is gonna be so stupid." But what's crazy is that it like totally works in this. Oh film. my god, it worked so well. So he's this Do like, animals talk in your dimension. <laughs> he's this like humorous Looney Tunes esque comedic relief. He is voiced by comedian John Mulaney, and he is fantastic in this. Um, and then one of my personal favorites. Uh, Penny Parker, a Japanese girl with a psychic link to a spider who lives in her father's robot. It is very Jaeger-like if you are a Pacific Rim fan like myself. That is the most Japanese thing that's ever happened on this show. <laughs> Even more so that, than Sokushin Butsu? Yes, I would say so, because that's extremely obscure, and this is like manga to the core. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I mean, it is, you know, I'm not like a huge fan of, uh, I don't know, like I don't watch Japanese anime. I grew up watching Pokemon, but the style of it, the animation style of it for each character is so appropriate for that character. And it just blows you away. It's fantastic. And then uh, Miles, of course, this is who we start our hero's journey with and who we finish our hero's journey with. Um, he eventually becomes the new stylish badass Spider-Man with fresh Nike sneakers and a graffiti art logo on his suit. Now, one of my favorite scenes is the introduction to all the Spider-People, a.k.a. the Spider-Gang. And something incredible about this movie is that character development that's like seems super hashed out. But it's these these little details. Like one of them I noticed is uh, Spider Gwen's shoes. They hint to having having this like she has this background as a serious dancer or maybe a student of dance. I don't know if you yes, noticed that. They totally have like ribbons tied around yeah. them. Like yeah. And, and then, something I like uh-huh. about the uh, it, it not necessarily about the costumes, but about how they introduce the characters. Like a big problem with superhero films for a while was that. Everybody had to have an origin story, even though these origin stories have been done to death. And Spider-Man is like kind of at the forefront of that. For you know, sure. there were, there's been three Spider-Man, fi- Spider-Man films, and they basically origin storied him twice. And when Mar- uh, MCU got a hold of it, they didn't do an origin story. They started right in the middle of it. But this one like goes basically like right on the nose. 
of you know how we you know how this story goes. I don't need to tell you. Like they they like specifically say that to you as the viewer, and uh, I, th- I just thought that was a really clever way to handle you know a unnecessary origin story. Well, I have to correct you on one of the things that you just said. There's, I know what you meant. You said there's been three Spider-Man movies. There's been three iterations. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so there's actually been eight Spider-Man movies. Now that is, I did the math. I know you love math. That's 2.666 repeating, of course, trilogies, which is a really (laughs) weird way to describe uh, eight of something. (laughs) Yes. That's one of the most Brett things you've ever said. (laughs) But this is, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, and this is what I wanted to talk about, about subverting expectations. It dawned on me watching this recently for the show to subvert expectations. You have to have expectations and that you, I mean, you completely described it to be this fresh and original. We had to have the groundwork for these expectations. I mean, Spider-Man, few superheroes have been overdone to the point of just being exhausting uh, I mean, until the MCU got a hold of it, I do love the new MCU Spider-Man movies. But I mean, this, this is like, this. Uh, so let me put it this way, I, and this is a guess. I'm, I'm uh, hypothesizing here, but I'm thinking this nerd genius Phil Lord. He's the creator of the story. I think he realized that having this existing cultural expectation of Spider-Man he realized that it made the perfect medium. Spider-Man is the medium in which to birth the, these new spider people and create the best spider person in the spider verse. Yeah. Like if you want to do an original take on Spider-Man, this is oddly enough, probably the only direction they should have, they could have gone. Totally. You know, it's like they, they have to do something completely original and completely off the wall. And I love how in the film they even reference like Spider Man's stupid dance from Spider Man yeah, Three. Sam I Raimi. I loved that. Like, how did this yep. happen? They they like poke fun at <laughs> yeah, all the things so. throughout the years that people have you know either been like annoyed with origin stories or they're like you know who would ever green light something stupid like this Spider Man dance? It's right. all it's all in there. That's that's that self awareness that I love so much and the humor. I mean, let's talk about the humor. I mean, this is an incredibly funny movie. Um, there's several scenes that build up, up, up to this epic moment or some crazy scene, and then it just results in doing the opposite of what you expect. Um, so the first obvious example of this that I can remember at least is when Miles is bit by the spider. You see him gasp, and then the camera dives onto the microscopic level, and you see the neon venom surging through his veins, and you get this like audible riser sound, and you hear this tension, you see this tension, and then it zooms back out, and you see him just like shrug and smack the spider and like brush it <laughs> off. I mean, the timing of this is perfect. I don't care who you are. You would never have that reaction to a spider biting <laughs> you, especially one with a number on it that's glowing. <laughs> right. That is, he's a cool cucumber. For sure. Um, Another favorite scene of mine, there's this brawl at Aunt May's house. And her face is in the middle. And it's kind of this like Brady Bunch style where she's looking around the screen to four different cutscenes of things in her house getting smashed. And the fourth (laughs) one is Spider-Ham, Peter Porker, (laughs) just smashing a plate on his head for no reason. Well, in the other frames, it's like... Dr. Octopus's arms 
shooting out and breaking her fine china. Yeah. So it's like they like already they already make like the reference of like all of her expensive things getting broken. Right. It's so good. Um, there's this other. I'm gonna call this a little big moment. Um, because it's a little moment, but it's big, and that's this movie has so many of those little big moments. But this moment brings self-awareness and humor to the fact that this movie is not just about subverting expectations, but it's also about exploring better representation and entertainment. And this is done not just with the heroes, but with the villains as well. So in Into the Spider-Verse, of course, Doc Ock is a woman. And uh, so it's Dr. Olivia Octavius is Doc Ock. And there's this kind of blink and you'll miss it line where broken hobo Spider-Man, uh, he's talking about examining his personal biases because he was expecting Doc Ock to be a man. And it's funny to me because, I, like, we all were, not because we're sexist, hopefully. I mean, we might unfortunately all be because we live in a patriarchy, but uh, we've all seen Spider-Man's Doc Ock villain as a man. So we just, you know, they it's like they yep. got me on multiple layers in probably multiple universes. So self-aware. <laughs> it's really good. And Very aware. Like, so aware of their audience also. Right. For sure. So another aside uh, I want to make before I move on. Catherine Hahn voices uh, Doc Ock, and she also plays a very pivotal role in WandaVision. Shout out to all my WandaVision homies out there. Um, so she plays the nosy neighbor, Agnes. Oh, and, same actress. Uh, same actress and so yeah if you watch into the spider-verse and you love matching the voice with the you know oh yeah i know that actor i love doing that when i watch animated stuff so there you go folks <laughs> so write that down in your uh <laughs> your tear journal or whatever we called it. your tear filled <laughs> <laughs> daily journal of pain um so let's touch on this real quick there is actually an ongoing hot debate within the physics community, a group that is quite possibly quantifiably more nerdy than our small group of contentologist fans out there, that multiple universes do in fact exist. So around 2010, scientists such as Stephen M. Feeney analyzed Wilkinson microwave anisotropy probe data and claimed to find evidence suggesting that our universe collided with other parallel universes in the distant past. There, in Yikes. fact, there are. This might scare you a little bit more than uh, coronal mass ejections. Well, so, you know me, <laughs> living in fear. Do you have a fear journal too, or do you yep. just? <laughs> I'm not going to expand on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. There are actually uh, several modern proponents of this, um, of the, I should call it, one or more of the multiverse uh, hypotheses. Uh, these modern proponents include Neil deGrasse Tyson and Stephen Hawking. Some the, big names. Seriously, big names in physics. Um, this idea of parallel or multiple universes is not confined to into just the realm of physical cosmology or string theory or whatever that stuff is. This has actually been around since philosophy back in the third century BC. Um, and it's been expanded on many times over throughout history and maybe throughout different timelines, if you believe in this sort of thing. So another name you might know, Erwin Schrodinger, 
he is most notable for killing cats in his imagination and then blaming it on subatomic events. <laughs> uh, classic defense. So in one of his um, prescient previews to quantum physics, this was way back in 1952, Schrodinger gave a lecture in which he warned his audience that what he was about to say uh, might seem lunatic. Those are his words. He said that when his equations seemed to describe several different histories, these were not alternatives, but all really happened simultaneously. Now, this sort of duality is called superposition. So whether you believe in the idea of a multiverse, I know one thing for sure. Don't put a cat in a sealed box with a poison flask being operated by radioactive isotopes. <laughs> it's not cool, man. Uh, the other thing that I do know for certain, Josh, is that somewhere, sometime, Spider Ham is listening to this episode <laughs> of the Content Clearinghouse. <laughs> he probably broke his iPad, uh, iPod over his head. <laughs> um, well, to wrap this up, Josh, this is one stylish, self-aware, spiderific piece of content with incredible emotional impact. A perfect hero's journey, well-needed representation, and it's just god dang beautiful. It truly has more dimensions to it than the multiverse itself. It weaves a web of beauty, humor, and heart. It subverts expectations and gives us the black Spider-Man the world doesn't deserve, but the one that it needs right now. It makes my spidey senses tingle with anticipation for the upcoming MCU movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and, of course, the upcoming sequel to my titular piece of content, coming in 2020, Into the Spider-Verse 2. Oh, my God. So if you don't have anything else to add, I just want to thank you, Josh, and the listeners, for joining me right here, right now, in this universe. (laughs) And uh, and for allowing me to uh, uh, just share my passion, my love for this movie. Oh, I do want to leave you with one more thing. My favorite quote from this movie. This is a line delivered from Broken Hobo Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's telling this to Miles while uh, Miles is literally learning the ropes of web slinging and swinging at the worst possible time, getting chased by Dr. Ock. So the quote is, uh, everybody knows that the best way to learn is under intense life-threatening pressure. <laughs> what an epic movie. I love this thing. Man, I could have, I could talk about this movie all night. Like I, you know, this is something that we had debated in the past, like, oh, which one of us is going to bring into the Spider-Verse to the show? And yeah, I knew that when it finally came up, it was going to be a two-way evaluation of the film for this sure. is something you and i have for both sure. probably seen 50 times a piece have you heard anything about the new spider-man mcu film that's coming out uh okay wait the the title of this just recently is it far from home uh, or no was that the most recent one far from home was the most recent i don't know what the title is of the new one but Oh, No, no way, way Home. home. It's No Way Home, I'm so pretty sure. Yes. I've heard rumors, and this could be just, who knows, fan uh-huh. rumors. I think I know where you're going but with this. There are fan rumors that uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire have been seen on the set, and there are people are theorizing that it's going to be a multiverse-style scenario because 
they are introducing the multiverse with Doctor Strange. So this very interesting concept of having multiple Spider-Men from different dimensions and referencing all the other films that are not even part of the MCU, that could be something that's coming into the MCU where I am sure they will do it like just as much justice as Into the Spider-Verse does. Well, I, I have not heard that rumor, but considering how well the MCU movies always tie together, as well as now the shows, and the fact that uh, the Doctor Strange sequel is highly anticipated, and it is you know a character that already can um, subvert time and space, and the title has multiverse in it. So it would not surprise me if No Way Home is some reference to Spider-Man getting lost in the multiverse. Totally. So even though I, I haven't heard that rumor, um, and I will say a recent MCU series that I've watched does touch on this topic just slightly, and that's all I'll oh, say about Oh, I wonder that. this could be a WandaVision reference. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is yeah. incredible. Once again, Brett, thanks for brightening my week. Highlight of the week hearing you talk about some of my favorite things. And I like how it always gives me another take on something, even something that I've seen innumerable times like this film still makes me think about it in an entirely new light. That's so great. If you haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, you're crazy. Go see it. If you have seen it, you're also probably crazy. I don't know. But go see it again. It's definitely <laughs> worth a repeat viewing. I'm going to go watch it again right yeah, now. Yeah, I think it's going to have to... I just watched it. It's going to have to get cycled back in. Um, oh, well, yeah, it's a good thank one. you, Brett. Thank you, everyone out there in podcast land for tuning in to the Content Clearinghouse. We love you guys. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Content Clearinghouse. You can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. Send us those emails. We'll read them on the air. We also have a Discord channel, which is now in the show notes. The link works. Join us there. Talk with us directly. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We love you. We will be back next week.